Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, hosts Andrea Kilstedt and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of the Capital Campaign Toolkit, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. The Capital Campaign Toolkit is a support system for nonprofit leaders who are running capital campaigns. At CapitalCampaignToolkit.com, you can download a step-by-step guide for your capital campaign and get many other free resources. This podcast is recorded on a live webinar every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join the live session and get your questions answered by signing up today at ToolkitTalks.com. talking about case for support and campaign brochures and what we call donor donor discussion guides. And um, these are things that most people have misconceptions about, and it's hard to know what they should be, what they are, what they should be. And if if what was appropriate a few years ago is still appropriate today, given how we communicate. So we thought that we would we would spend a little time discussing that. And if you have any questions about that topic, about what is the case for support? Do we need a campaign brochure, right? What in heaven's name is a donor discussion guide, right? If once we've talked about it, we will be happy to happy to talk about those things with you. Let me begin. And and while we talk, for those of you who are first timers, while we talk, you can you can put your questions in the Q&A box. If you put it in the Q&A box instead of the chat, we are more likely to answer it because the chat tends to go by really quickly and we lose track and we can't scroll down. So put your questions there after, as Amy said, after about 10 minutes or so, we will we will shift over and start to address your questions. And they can be anything campaign or fundraising related. They do not have to be related to today's topic. It's just to kick things off with. Um, so, okay, Andrea, kick us off. About your fear of asking. They can even be about your fear of talking to people about money. They can be about all sorts of things, campaign things <laughs> broadly. Those are sometimes the most interesting questions. Okay, let me kick us off. So, um, so I bet half the people I talk to, and you might imagine we talk to a lot of people, I bet half of them think or have some board members who think that one of the first things they need to do for a capital campaign is to create, is to hire a design firm to create a campaign brochure, right? A lot of people think that because they they have this notion that, that, mainly what campaigns are about is going and impressing people who have a lot of money and asking them for big gifts. And in order to do that, they think they need a fancy brochure because that's what they think people will be impressed by. So people often go off half cocked or unless they start talking to us and then we tell them, listen, that's not what you need to be doing first. What you need to be doing first is to use that opportunity to create a simple draft word document that outlines the ideas behind your campaign and why they matter and what impact your campaign will have. And then you need to test that, that document with with people who are closest to you, with people who are potential major donors. And in that 
testing process, you give people an opportunity to understand what it is you're doing and why you're doing it and to give you feedback. And as most of you know, and if you don't know yet, you need to know, the best way to get people to consider making a significant gift is to ask them for advice. If you ask them for advice and you actually think about the advice that they give you, you don't have to accept it all. They will be more engaged and be more likely to be open to coming and participating in your campaign in other ways. So this draft document, a word document, a simple word document, draft case for support is, is a wonderful tool to be able to do that. Because while people won't know a lot about your project or about your organization even, they do know about their own opinions. So if you send them something to read and ask them for their opinion about what they've read, they will be able to give you their opinion, right? Now that's an interesting switch, right? If I say to someone, do you think we should be creating a, a new building for our program? They may well not know the answer to that. But if you send them a draft document, clearly marked draft, right, and say we are we are beginning to to articulate what it is we're going to do to do, and we want to know if we have articulated it clearly, if it's compelling, how it strikes you. You ask them to read it and have a conversation with them about it. They can tell you about that. So it's a very important thing to think. You have to. You have to start by inviting people in, and there is no better way to do that early in your campaign than by asking people to review a draft of your case for support. Okay, a couple of things. One is just because it's a draft does not mean that there's any typos or grammatical errors or anything like that. It is a well-conceived draft, um, and the only reason that it's a draft is because well, one of the many reasons is because you actually want feedback. If you make a fancy campaign brochure, which is your case for support, you know, that's how you're sharing it. Then there's no reason for anybody to give you feedback, because if it's all uh, laid out beautifully in four color and designed graphically, then there's no reason for feedback because it looks done and it's finished and your plans are complete. So you do want to show it to donors early on in draft form. It's a really important engagement tool. So that's number one. Number two, a really easy visual to help you explain to your board members and your boss who may not understand or agree that the first step is not printing a fancy uh, campaign brochure explaining the project is, you know, give them this visual. I have nightmares of going into development director's offices and seeing these brochures, campaign brochures stacked to the ceiling five minutes after they come off the printer, they're out of date. There's some mistake. Uh, they all go in the trash at the end of the campaign. You never use them. And so, you know, I'm being a little silly, but truly, truly, five minutes after they come off the printer, the project has changed, the goal has shifted, something changes, and they're all garbage. So don't start with a campaign brochure. Um, that can be if you decide to do one at the end of your campaign, when you're when you're ready to go to the community, out to the public. 
and the project is almost fully funded. You've raised 70, 80% of the goal, um, but you don't need to do it for your early on donors. You can hand them a nice folder of information that just comes out of your printer. You can change it every time it needs to be adjusted. You okay. Folders. Let me talk about folders for a minute, because I've always been sort of in all my years, I've been amazed and amused and delighted by how you can make a very simple folder, right? If you go to Staples or whatever, you can buy these very slick folders, very clean, very slick. You can make a really nifty, nifty sticker to put on the front of it, which has your campaign logo logo or your organization logo. And then you can put material into it. You don't need to spend a huge amount of money to print fancy, fancy folders, just go to Kinko's and buy a buy a bunch of those simple ones. They come in all kinds of colors. They're they're slick and sleek and and beautiful. Get someone to design a good a good a good sticker to put on the front of it. I'm always amazed at what a great job that does of organizing campaign materials. All right, let's talk a little. Miriam, I appreciate your saying, telling us in the chat that your advisor has gotten you to to do a one page case for support. <laughs> And and I saw Miriam's advisor is on the call. Hi, Kent. Thanks for joining us. Kent's here. Um, so wonderful. One of our toolkit campaign advisors, Kent Stroman, is joining us. And and he's Miriam's. Uh, oh, you ratted him out. He caught you. <laughs> All right. Anyways, no, yeah. it's great. But here's what that points to. You know, a one page document these days is really important because how many of us read more than one page of anything? right? Think about emails. When you get an email that goes on and on and on and on, do you actually ever read down to the bottom of it? No. No. If you get a five page, what did I get? I put it aside here. You uh, get, I got a five page. Somebody send me in the mail an RFP. In right? the mail. In, in the, the mail. mail. In the mail. I don't respond to RFPs, but somebody sent me a five page RFP. Both sides, right? Dense text, Right from beginning to end, I opened the envelope. I looked at it. I thought, all right, I'm going to read the cover page. That's about it. Right? Yeah. So I don't have a stomach for it anymore. Nobody else does either. One great suggestion you had the other day, and maybe you said it on last week's call, Andrea, was if you're writing more than one page, even if you're writing one page, have big titles and subheads and ask people who are not familiar with your campaign to just read the titles and subheadings. If you have a three-page document or, ugh, God forbid, five pages, don't, don't go longer than that. Um, just read the subheads and see if they can explain what your campaign is, because you should assume that people are not going to read it. You spend all this time writing this beautiful document and probably 80% of people uh, don't 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 read it. So can they get the gist of it by just reading the subtitles? All right, let's go to the questions in a minute. Um, I haven't even gotten to the donor discussion guide. I got to oh. talk just for a minute about donor discussion guides. Go so ahead. What we recommend actually to people who are our clients is that they start with the case for support because then you can actually describe what it is you're going to do when you have to get clear about it. But it turns out that when you're sitting down with someone side by side or even on a Zoom call, that, that people don't read well when they're sitting next to somebody else. 
right? They really don't. In fact, if you send something, someone something in advance, there's about a 50-50 chance or less that they actually will read it before you have a meeting with them. So the question is, what, what do you do about that? And what we use is something we call a donor discussion guide, which is a two-sided large piece of paper. If you print it out, it would be something like 17 by 24 or whatever the size is, big, good size. And on one side, it really is a, a, it's a discussion stimulus where it talks about what is it you're raising money for. It talks about, about what the impact of that is, how much you need to raise. It gives a little gift range chart so that there's a lot of white space, but you can see clearly in the headings what it's about. And you can actually hand a magic marker to somebody and you can put a piece like this down in front of people and everyone can be scribbling on it, circling things, right? On the back side of this, it's a two-sided document and on the back side, or you could do two pages if you wish, are things like floor plans if it's a building project or a, or a picture of what the building would be or a location map or a list of your board members, or something else specific to your organization that you suspect might come up in a conversation and you would like to be able to refer them to it. So you can flip the document over and then point to that. Um, We're going to share a sample in this week's blog post. So if you want to see um, what we're envisioning as a donor discussion guide, there's a name for it, uh, almost a, you know, a graphic what do you call it? Somebody in the chat, tell me what the word is. Uh, you know, a pictorial description. Infographic. An infographic. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. An infographic. So, you know, something that you talk about. And Andrea, you're sitting, uh, talking about sitting, circling with a magic marker. And that's when we're able to get back together in person. But there, Amy. It's also something that you can flash up on a screen and you don't want to have a slide deck when you're talking to someone because then the slides take over, but you can share it for a minute or two and then take it down and continue um, to, to have your conversation. Great. And um, Amy's sharing a resource for free infographics at easel.ly. S-E-L dot L-Y. Yeah. If you are listening on the podcast. Excellent. All right. Okay. Uh, Let's turn to some questions. But first, Susan, thank you for sharing. You said, you you know, your favorite Ben Franklin quote is, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. That's exactly right. Um, So you do want to take your time and make your case for support short because people aren't going to read it. And so the question is how clear, concise, and compelling the three C's. Clear, concise, compelling. So, you know, here's something to keep in mind. When you have something that is clear, concise, and compelling, the chances are it has been through five drafts, 10 drafts, 20 drafts, right? It looks utterly simple, but the simpler something is, the more you have had to work to find the, the clarity of the ideas, So just because you can't sit down and in one pass create the perfect simple document, right? Don't despair. That's the nature of the process. And once you finally have that, what that means is that in your mind and the mind of the people who have helped you, your case has finally become clear and you will be able to articulate it clearly 
that I like to think about a case for support as a set of ideas. That's really where it begins. It begins with a set of ideas in your mind. And when you see people who solicit gifts and they can't stop talking, they're talking too much, is because they haven't yet articulated in their own minds clearly and simply what it is they're raising money for and why. So every draft you go through, every clarification, every simplification is will be powerfully important to how you talk about your project. Right? The donor discussion guide and the case for support and the brochure are just are just examples of of various ways, various media in which to take the ideas which have finally become clearer to you and put them out there for your donors. So it, it's hard, hard to do things simply and clearly, but well, well fought, the battle worth fighting. All right, let's turn over to the questions. I'm gonna start with Pamela since she got it in first. She says, I would love to get your take on how to explain to the board the difference between cultivation and stewardship. And I have an easy way for you to explain this, Pamela. Um, if you uh, Google probably any any fundraising cycle, you're going to see three, four, five, six steps, something like that. I use four personally. Um, my four steps in the fundraising cycle are one, donor identification. How are you, who, who are you going to potentially raise money from? Two is cultivation. That's the relationship building. So once you've identified your donors, how do you build relationships with these folks? Number three is solicitation. That's the actual ask. And number four is stewardship. Everything that comes after the ask, how you thank, how you follow up, how you let them know what their gift was used for. So, and everybody does their fundraising cycle a little bit differently and sticks in more or less steps or calls them slightly different things, but that's sort of the gist. Cultivation is what you do before you ask for a gift and stewardship is what you do after you've asked for a gift or received the gift. So to me, um, that's the simple explanation. Uh, okay, let's go on to Joan's question. She's looking for a good capital campaign plan template um, and, uh, and get some key ideas to include. So Andrea, I think we can probably list uh, some of the key documents that go into a campaign plan, but I do wanna take a moment just to say that you know, our company, of course, is called the Capital Campaign Toolkit, and we actually have a toolkit of capital campaign resources online on a, in a platform. Um, now, we do give tons of resources away for free. Um, one of them is this Toolkit Talks, and some of them we do charge for, um, but... Uh, we do, of course, have a very detailed capital campaign plan template inside the toolkit. And if you're interested in uh, having access to some of those resources, of course, we would be happy to talk to you about it. Honestly, we don't want anybody reinventing the wheel. That's why we created this capital campaign toolkit. Um, and so as a member, you get access to all of the tools, the templates, the resources, and so that you're not creating anything from scratch, that you're not reinventing the wheel. So, um, but that being said, Andrea, let's talk about what goes into a capital campaign plan template. 
Well, I, I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't look for a template. I, I you know, I would I think about a capital campaign plan as a folder of information. But of course, I think about that way that for mission statements, too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, so what would go into a folder that collected together would be would be your campaign plan? Well, I'll list one and then you list one and then I'll list one. Amy. OK, Good. Yep. So, so I would start with a simple statement of what the campaign objectives are and what the working goal is. Peace yep. number one. Okay. And then you're going to have the case for support, which is why the donors would give. So the objectives are what what are you fundraising for? And, how, and the working goal is how much it costs. And then the case for support is why should donors care? Why should they give? Okay, what's next? Okay, so how about a set of policies, campaign policies that talk about when the campaign begins and when it's going to end and what you're going to count and how you will how you will count things. Right. I mean, that's a fairly can be a long, a long document, but you need to have a set of policies that says, okay, this is the story with our campaign. We're not just making it up as we go. We have we have some policies that are going to guide what our campaign is willing to accept in gifts and and you know who is going to be the the key staff person. I mean, all that kind of stuff should be in one simple simple policies document. Excellent. We're also in our campaign plan going to have donor recognition. Uh, plan or policies plan a donor naming opportunities and donor recognition. Yes. How about a timeline? Yes. A timeline. Yes. Um, And Kent is adding a brief description of campaign phases. That's part of the timeline. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, And a budget. How about a campaign budget? Yes. So important. Right. So you should have a campaign budget that is not simply slammed into your operating budget. Right. The campaign budget is a whole different, different ball of wax. And in fact, you can raise money to which will pay for the campaign budget separately from your annual operating budget. Yeah. The Um, the campaign budget includes both what you're raising money for and the cost uh, of fund of the campaign itself. So make sure that you're including 10 or 15 percent um, of whatever you're trying to raise that you will spend or invest in campaign support, resources, donor recognition, planning, those types of things. Um, you might well have a plan, have a structure plan, right? What are the structures? What kinds of committees are you going to have? Will you have a steering committee? Will you have ad hoc committees for various pieces? You want something in your campaign plan of perhaps a job description for your for your campaign leadership, right? Who's going to be? Are you going to have campaign chairs, campaign co-chairs, right? That should that writing that out would be a good part of of your campaign plan. Uh, what have we missed? Kent, what have we missed? Um, or, um, and Kristen, yes. What have, Kristen, what have we missed? We're just, right. but that's really, those are the backbone. Those are the, those, those are the, uh, gift credit policies. Yes. Kent saying gift credit policies. Yeah, absolutely. That would be probably part of your policy document, but you definitely want to include that. Uh, all right. Pamela, I need you to expand on this question. Uh, would you do the same thing if if the campaign is a capacity building campaign? But I'm not sure what the same thing is referencing. Do you know what what were we talking about before, Andrea? I can't remember. Um, 
Pamela, give us some expansion on that. All right. While we're talking, let's not go far away, though. I want to go to Kristen's question about the donor discussion guide and how to use it in the Zoom meeting. And um, and so I, you know, I think it's it's terrific to have have something to share. My inclination is that less is better than more. Otherwise, you end up addressing everyone's attention to what's on the screen instead of actually talking face to face with one another. So you have to be careful. My inclination is to send people something in advance, which might be the donor discussion guide. Um, and you can send them a hard copy of it and you can ask them to get it out to re- to review it. Then you can quickly show it on the on the screen so that so you're sure they're looking at the same thing you're looking at and then stop sharing. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is I, I wouldn't use slides. Um, I would prefer to use the donor discussion guide and scroll, scroll down it so you can easily scroll up and back. Because if you use slides, then it's hard to remember which slide is which, and then you're fumbling around about slides, and they tend to take over, which you don't want to do. Um, one of our one of the organizations that just did a very successful uh, guided feasibility study, what they did was that they printed out their donor discussion guide on terrific paper. They rolled it up, put it in a tube, and sent sent it to each of the people that they were going to be talking to. And they sent it in enough time so the people could look at it. And then when they had the call, they just asked them, they showed it on the screen so they could, everybody was looking at the same document. And then they stopped sharing their screen and had them look at it, had them refer to it as needed on their desk, which I thought was an interesting, interesting approach. And honestly, how often do you get a tube in the mail? So it stands out, you open it, you're excited to get it. It's cool looking. I mean, if you can do something, yes, I'm all about, I love that getting a tube in the mail, right? Well, they were really smart. They'd, they'd have some chocolate chip cookies or something. Yeah, some, <laughs> fill it up. Fill it up. Yeah, with highlighters, post-it notes. Yeah, with and, highlighters, exactly. Put some highlighters in there. Hershey kisses. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. You know, the idea of these, of these donor discussion guides really came from the people at For Impact years ago. And they do something that's a little different, but... But the idea is is to sit side, I mean, forget about Zoom for the moment. The idea is to sit side by side with your donor and work on a document together, which I think is so terrific. The, you know, those of you who have actually asked people for gifts sitting, sitting face to face, we use the word phrase face to face a lot. Do you know how awkward it is to sit face to face staring into somebody's eyes when you're trying like mad to get out the words $1 million? Right? It just, so I remember when I was young in this business, I used to take my glasses off so that I couldn't see people quite as well. <laughs> but sitting side by side is a really good idea. And if you sit side by side with a document in front of you and you're writing on it or circling it or pointing to things, it takes that awkwardness away. And one of the things in these donor discussion guides is your is a short version of your gift range chart. So when you actually get to asking for the gift, you can actually underline or circle or point their attention to that without thumbing through five different pieces of paper. It's just all on one sheet. It's a very clever clever document, I gotta say. It's something I'm proud of. 
All right. Uh, Gary is sharing that, you know, one of his draft documents was so important because it changed multiple times. The, the, the plans changed. And so having a draft as opposed to a final, final, beautifully prepared document is critical so that every donor you talk to knows that this program is fluid and changing and, you know, you're working on it together and you're building a dream together. So it's in draft form until, <laughs> until it's done. Um, all right. Yeah, with regard to a capacity building campaign, thank you for, uh, for elucidating that. Yes, you would do the same thing with a, with a capacity campaign. Right. You would have a case for support and a donor discussion guide if you're doing a capacity campaign. Honestly, every campaign is a capacity campaign. It's just that some of them have buildings and some of them don't. I mean, that's one way to think about it. It's a good way to think about it. And you have to be able to articulate the impact of raising all that money in terms of growing your capacity. If it's a building, that's one way to grow it. If it's adding additional staff more quickly, it's another way. If it's build, if it's having new systems in place that are going to make you more efficient, right? I, I once, once I worked for an organization, the health organization, medical organization that that had to schedule appointments for people who came in for for medical services, and one of the things they did for their capacity campaign was to put in a new system for scheduling. It was remarkable how much more efficient and effective they could get lots more people in because their scheduling was so much more effective. Not only could they save staff time, but they actually could fill the appointment slots more effectively. And that was a great capacity campaign simply to do that. Okay. Uh, Kathy Wright, would you add a gift chart in the folder? Sure. Gift range charts are one of your primary tools for a capital campaign. If it is in your, if you have a donor discussion guide and it's a part of that, then you might not need it as a separate piece in your in your folder, but but you might choose to have it anyway if you think it's clear and easier to look at that way. Uh, Kathy also wants to know what's a gift crediting policy. Amy, why don't you tackle that? Yeah, well, uh, Kent was the one who suggested it and he has answered it already in the chat. So I'm going to read Kent's response. The gift credit policy describes what gifts count towards the campaign goals and what does not count. It maintains integrity and counting through the multi-year campaign. So, yeah, um, exactly that. Also, I think also of gift credit, you know, sometimes um, people get hard credit and soft credit for donations. Um, hard credit usually describes what a donor gets in terms of tax benefits, what they've donated, but we also might sometimes give them credit if their company uh, donates or in some instances money that they've raised. And so they might you know, if their family members give and they all get a plaque or something. So they get recognition credit as opposed to tax credit. So um, there's lots of ways that you can look at a gift credit policy. Amy, let's tackle Mariette's question about uh, how you approach a donor for a matching gift. 
Yes. So that, that's an interesting question. There's actually a lot to discuss in this, but let me see if I can be if I can be simple. So there are many different types of matching gifts. You and so you can have a challenge gift or a matching gift. Those are different, right? In a challenge gift, someone puts up a certain amount of money and says, if you accomplish a task, if you raise X number of dollars, then I will give my I will give a challenge. If you, a matching gift is more likely to be, you know, every dollar given, I will match by another dollar or $2 or whatever the formula is. So if you're going to ask someone to, to establish a challenge or a match, you have to be very clear about what it is you're asking them for. That's point number one. How do you want this to play out? Do you want it to play out where, you know, somebody gives a gift a dollar and they give a dollar as you go up? Does it have a maximum? Does it have a cap that they're, you know, after which they won't do that anymore? Right. You need to understand what you're asking them about or at least to raise the questions to see what they have in mind. That's point number number one. Um, point number two is this, that that there are, you can use challenge or matching gifts strategically. And you can do that by inviting the donor to target the challenge or the max to, or the match to specific areas where you know you're going to have trouble. So for example, if you know you're going to have trouble bringing new donors in, you might want to ask someone to say every time someone a new donor comes in the challenge you they can apply the, the challenge or the match right they can they can target the match or the challenge to specific things you might think that you're going to have trouble raising the mid-level gifts from your gift range chart you can target a match or a challenge specifically to gifts of a certain amount if you wanted to if you wanted to there are many ways in which you can structure these, and it should depend on where you think you you can use that match to motivate people's giving. And the more clear-headed you are about it in your discussion with the donor, the more you can then find out what the donor wants to do and come to come to an exciting matching matching gift. All right, we're going back. We're going back just for a minute to uh, gift credit policies because the brilliant people in our chat box have reminded us that there's a huge category that somehow didn't come out in that discussion, and that is how planned gifts factor into the campaign uh, yes. efforts. So, Gary, thank you, and Amy is chiming in. Um, will you accept or count gifts to an endowment? Is one thing that could come up too. So, absolutely, right? Are you counting bequests? How how are you counting bequests? You know, obviously uh, those dollars, you don't know how many dollars exactly or when they're coming in. So the question is how to count them and recognize donors for their efforts. Um, you know, depend often it depends on the age of the donor and if the, the, the gift is revocable or irrevocable. So can the donor change their mind as they can with a bequest? Um, and do you count, you know, if a 60 year old makes a bequest versus a 90 year old makes a bequest. So there's all sorts of, uh, things that factor in and, you know, there's no, absolute right or wrong, you need to have a gift policy. And so that you tell everybody we're counting gifts equally and fairly, and this is how we're going to count this type of plan gift or that type of plan gift. Um, 
And for a bequest, just because we're on the topic, um, we like to count number of bequests towards a campaign. So if you tell us that you've made a new bequest intention, um, then you know we recognize you as someone who's made, and, and maybe the goal for the campaign would be 10 or 20 or 50 new bequest intentions. That's the goal. It's not a dollar goal. Um, so anyways, yes, excellent. Pick up a couple of quick, quick answers here. Uh, Alex, your question is this. If you have a gift range chart in the donor discussion guide, do you prepare to ask something like asking people where do they see themselves in the gift chart? So, yes, if you have no idea where someone might give, it is perfectly appropriate to pull out a gift chart and say, where do you see yourself? If you know someone has give, has made gifts at the top level, if you know they're a significant donor, you may say, I wonder if you would consider giving the top gift to this campaign or giving a specific gift. So you can use it both ways, depending on how confident or comfortable you are with, with where the donor might want to come in. They're, that's really, these are perfect uses of the gift, of the gift chart. I think somebody else was asking about the gift chart. Yes, Meredith is. So now that you've just discussed it, why don't you explain what a gift range chart is? Meredith says, are you referring to a list of donation amounts and the goal number of gifts at that level, prospects required, et cetera? Uh, yes, but go ahead. Indeed. I, people call it many different things. We call it a gift range chart. And it is a chart that gives a somewhat mathematical, not entirely, but somewhat mathematical formula showing what the top gifts are and how many, how many you needed at each level. These are, this is not a reflection of donors in your, in your donor base and what they have given before. It is a sort of semi-mathematical equation that you say if you need to if you're going to raise a million dollars for example the top gift for a campaign is probably between 20 and 25 percent so your top donor top gift would be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and then the next gift down might be a hundred hundred thousand dollars and how many gifts do you need there and then fifty thousand and then stepping back so these are are not are not directly pulled off how much people have already given to you. They take your goal and they break it down into how many gifts you would need at what levels to raise that kind of money. And between, and that gift range chart becomes a remarkable tool for your campaign, both to be used when you solicit gifts and to be used in helping you figure out who to solicit first. Because the top donors are the gift are the donors you're going to need to solicit first, so that you start out with a with building ahead of steam for success in your campaign. All right, we're going to take a 30 second seventh inning stretch here, Andrea. Everybody, literally and figuratively, go ahead and stretch, and I'm going to do an advertisement for the Capital Campaign Toolkit. Um, listen. If you, these questions are amazing. They are so brilliant and so on point. If you are getting ready to do a campaign or you're thinking about doing a campaign and you're thinking that you need help, some sort of consulting help, we of course want you to consider the Capital Campaign Toolkit. We are a support system for nonprofit leaders running successful campaigns, and we support you in a variety of ways. And so if you are at all considering a campaign, like I said before, we don't want you to reinvent the wheel. 
We want you to have an expert advisor at your side every step of the way. And we would love to talk to you about your campaign. So if you're at that stage where you're ready for help, please do visit the Capital Campaign Toolkit website and um, sign up to talk to one of our experts. All right, back to our- Great advertisement, Amy. Back to our questions. There we go. So All right. Susan asks a question about debt reduction campaign. Susan, that is so difficult. Debt reduction is so difficult. If there's anything you can do to reframe things you're already doing in your budget to raise money for, to have some kind of a real capacity campaign that leaves you with some extra money in your budget to put in to, to, to start paying down your debt, that's a better way to do it than to try to raise, raise have debt reduction, have, have a debt re- reduction campaign. So now if you, you say that you are a retirement home, you know, you may be able to get some people to help pay down your debt because if they live there, they have a real interest in seeing the organization be healthy financially. So I won't say you can't do it, but I would not want you to go out with a broad-based solicitation before you have a pretty good idea that you have some key people who will help contribute in that way. And you should be doing a planned giving and bequest campaign if you are a retirement facility and every organization, not just retirement facilities, everybody. Okay. Vicky's asking, um, what is another name for a capital campaign if raising money for an actual capital as opposed to a building? So... um, I'm not exactly sure what you need what, money in the bank or money in the stock account of the, yeah. in the, in the I, I don't know. Yeah. So listen, Vicki, you know, all capital campaigns, the way we're referencing them are really capacity campaigns. They're building capacity for your organization. Sometimes there's a physical building or structure involved, sometimes equipment, sometimes it's program startup, um, sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's, you know, rebranding. It can be your capital campaign can raise, you know, capital, right? Uh, For any variety of capacity campaign or capacity related activities. So I hope that answers the question. So Mara has talked about momentum projects. I like that phrase. I have to say momentum has a wonderful ring to it, right? And instead of a full-blown campaign, she says, these will be one year long and multi-million dollar projects. The intent is to build campaign efficacy, rebuild trust, and elevated donors' vision. You know, Maura, this is a complicated a complicated question. I'm not sure I fully understand it and what the difference is between that and a, and a full-blown capital campaign. It sounds like you have a big campaign on in, in the planning with various things that fit into that campaign. So certainly many campaigns have multiple objectives, right? That's fairly common. Big campaigns can have five or six or 10 different things they're raising money for, and they fit under the umbrella of a a campaign. But sometimes the fundraising happens in fairly discrete pieces if there are donors who are interested in one piece or or another piece. So I don't know if that gets to your question, Amy. 
Well, you know, I think it gets to Maura's question and, and the question before. So um, Kay is reminding us that she uses the term comprehensive campaign, capacity campaign. So, you know, it sounds like, Maura, you're doing a campaign. So whether you call it a comprehensive campaign, a capital campaign, a capacity campaign, um, it's just what terminology or jargon works for your community and what feels right in in the culture of your organization, I think. Yeah, however, there is a difference between between comprehensive campaigns and other kinds of campaigns. So here's the difference in a nutshell. When like a university does a comprehensive campaign and some other organizations do it as well, what they're doing is that they are counting a certain number of years of annual fundraising. So they are raising the goal of their campaign to include what they're pretty sure is going to come in through their annual fundraising campaign or no campaign. Sometimes in a large organization that actually raises the campaign goal significantly. Right. If your organization is is bringing in two and a half million dollars a year over the five years of your campaign and you decide you're going to count that in your campaign, well, your campaign's going to goal is going to go up by 10 million dollars at two and a half million a year right, for five years. So that that actually is the difference between a comprehensive campaign where you're counting everything or a capital or combined campaign where you're not counting your annual fundraising but you're counting the other, the other things that are special over and above that. Um, people always get confused about that. And it is confusing actually, but that's the, that's the gist of it. Most university campaigns are comprehensive campaigns. That's in some part why the budget, why the goals are so big. And, and I have often thought that the goals are so big because the university presidents think that bigger is better, which I must say, I wonder about. <laughs> All right. So Melissa is asking about restarting an unsuccessful campaign, one that didn't make its goals, got dropped for a few years. Now is being restarted. The building needs a expansion. What are we, what are we doing about that? Melissa, don't restart a campaign. Either just drop what you did before and start fresh or somehow figure out how you're going to how you're going to wrap what you did before into some into a, the trappings of success and end it as phase one, right? And then start phase two, right? But don't drag it out as a, as restarting a failed campaign. That's a kiss. That's, that's doesn't have, doesn't have, who's going to serve as the chair of that? I, you know, that's a question to answer. Gee, Amy, we're restarting this failed campaign that we just sort of let drop about three years ago. Would you be this chair? I don't think so. Exactly. Yes. And then who's giving the lead gift? Was it a gift from before? You know, uh, yeah, it, it's a big it is really a, it's really challenging. So you have to be super careful in how you frame things. Framing things matters. And to the extent you can frame things as success. Right. And then take a new lease on life. It will benefit you. And honestly, you know, it's I've come to think that it, that it's not that something failed or didn't fail. It's all how you look at it. And this isn't cheating, right? It's really wrapping your brain about, well, what, what happened? What was successful? What did we accomplish? Let's package that and be able to talk about it as an accomplishment. I think that's true of life, actually. Right? Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Um, all right. So Sharon's asking a couple of questions. One is about digital giving options for small fundraisers. And then Sharon, in the very next sentence, you talk about a multi-year building campaign for 15 to $20 million. So you're doing very different types of fundraising here. It looks like at your organization. And I'm not quite sure um, what do you mean by digital giving options? Maybe other people in the chat want to weigh in on what they're doing. So, I mean, I'm going to make an assumption that you do have giving on your website and that people can give uh, monthly gifts or recurring gifts and one-time gifts. So I'm not, I'm not talking about Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't know. All right. So Sharon, I'm not quite sure what you mean by digital giving options. Um, so if you want to expand on that, maybe other people in the chat can weigh in. That would be great. Um, but then to your next question, let's see, we have approached uh, this 15 to $20 million campaign as one campaign with smaller phase amounts within a large total campus foundation, hall, offices, school, church, we should, uh, should we be that specific with buildings or not? Oh, so you have a campaign that has lots of different objectives. I think, you know, it's probably not different than any other big campaign uh, at a college or a hospital is going to be raising lots of different things. You know, you could break it down into to pillars or sections how would you do it andrea you know one one i mean are you doing are you raising all the money at the same time some donors are going to want to give to one thing and not another thing so you can have various options i mean some donors may want to give to your church but not to your school or some donors may may want to you know different so you have to take into consideration what donors want to do Right. On one hand, you have what you need and what you want to raise money for. On the other hand, you have what donors want to do. And you have to put those things together. Right. And you have to do it in sort of a realistic and reasonable way. So I, I would encourage you strongly, if you haven't, to do a feasibility study so you get a sense of where there is more interest or less interest in your objectives. It sounds like a big, complicated campaign. You should take the time and energy to, to talk to some of your largest donors first to find out what they're, what's on their mind, what they want to give to. And that's going to help you find a way forward. Uh, Miriam any, has asked this. Any suggestions on how to begin modest plan giving, legacy giving program? If an organization has never had one, particularly as it relates to a capital campaign. So, you know, the, here's the best answer to that, Miriam. Just start. <laughs> plan giving takes a long time. Right. It is not complicated. You just need to start asking people to put put you in their will, put your organization in their will. That is there is more you can do, but that's a great way to start. And one way to start is to get a few people together who have already done that, who may already have done that. So you have a little a, a little cadre of people who are willing to to talk about and to develop a plan, but you should deal with it in the way that is simplest, but that becomes a regular part of your fundraising because it, it takes a long time to, to do that. I mean, years. Plan giving is something that should be an ongoing part of your fundraising program. So just start. Talk to people about putting you in their will. 
Yeah, every everybody you sit down with and ask for a campaign gift, say, you know, the campaign gift is for the next three to five years to get these new programs and services and building up and running. And we're asking everybody who participates in the campaign to also consider including us in their will so that and that's the that's the long time, uh, you know, making sure that we're here into the future. All right. Yes, we have only a couple of minutes left, but I would like us to acknowledge and recognize our amazing colleague who passed away this weekend, um, Simone Joyo. So I have recommended on this call, actually, at least one book of Simone's. Um, she is. She was a terrific force in the fundraising world. She was married to, still is married, I suppose, to Tom Ahern, who many of you probably know. Tom is famous for, for his writing advice and ability and drafting cases for support and general nonprofit writing. Tom and Simone were married for a great many years. They lived in, lived in Rhode Island and, uh, Really, they were they were a cranky, a cranky kind of rabble rousing couple, right? They they matched each other for being thorny and being willing to challenge to challenge people with their ideas. And and Simone would always show up with a great necklace and and fantastic tights. I always loved her her patterned tights. She would show up just looking not like everybody else, right? She. And, and she had a strong and capable writing voice. She wrote a lot. Go to her website, simonejoyo.com, um, to read some of what she's written. She's written for a great many organizations, The Agitator and others. Yeah, and one, one of her most famous books probably is you can, something about you can fire lousy board members. Yes, raise, so, right. I have it right here if I could find it. Somebody in the chat's going to put it in. Here it is. Uh, here it is. Firing lousy board members and helping others succeed. I just wrote the forward to that book, believe it or not. Hold it up. It's because people can't spell lousy board members. J O Y A U X is her last name. J O Y A U X. Joy O. Um, all right. Anyways, yes. We're, we're no, sad I- to. We are sad to lose her. She had a massive stroke, evidently, um, and really, she is a her 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 cantankerous voice will be will be missed in this field, certainly by me and by Amy. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you all for joining us uh, on that note. We so appreciate, you know, what it, what Simone's passing made us discuss earlier today was how grateful we are to be here and to be alive and to be with all of you and what, what an opportunity make the most of every single day. And, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing and making the world a better place each and every day with your fundraising. So All right. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye, Amy. Thanks, as always. Bye, Andrea. Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, go to CapitalCampaignToolkit.com.